0: Welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 99. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest,
1: Henry Burbank. Hey, Kip. How's it going? It's going well. I'm excited to discuss the topic today.
0: As am I. And as the title of this episode will suggest, we're going to be discussing the phenomenon of social and political apathy, especially as it exists today in our modern era in 2016. And I'm really curious, as you suggested this topic for discussion, to know what appeals to you about it, why you think it's worthy of discussion, and how you approach it when you're thinking about the era of apathy as we've described it.
1: So I think a common critique of millennials and people of our generation is that we're a little apathetic and we don't care so much about issues. We're not really willing to invest ourselves in issues that concern us. And especially if you look around the country today, and the world to a certain degree, there are a plethora of issues that really demand clear and decisive action, not just talking or not just discussing something, but really commitment and enthusiasm to changing or perpetuating things, whatever you want to do. And I think apathy is important because apathy, I think, is a self-fulfilling prophecy. You tell someone that they're apathetic, and then they just say, yeah, I guess I am, so why bother trying? And that's a dangerous trap to fall into, and I feel like we've fallen into it a little bit.
0: And I think the term trap is key there because I would argue that none of us want to be apathetic necessarily. I think if we find the energy and the cause for it, we want to care about our world. More often than not, I feel people want to connect with others. They want to support their fellow person and improve their world, the status of those living in it. They want to learn more about the world they live in and invest themselves in their lives and the lives of those around them. But I agree with your use of the word trap because there are phenomena and systems in place which I think allow for and encourage apathy to a degree. And the first of which in my mind is social media and the complex that the internet and social media have created as it relates to our empathetic or apathetic leanings. And to delve into that, I would argue that many of us live in a world of digital connectivity. We're constantly aware of tragic, horrific, or generally heart-wrenching news stories, other details shared by the media, which encourage an emotional response. So I'm not saying that people have become robotic, but instead, the sheer volume of of topics about which someone can be concerned there are constant reminders of our need to improve in areas concerning gender equality one's sexual orientation the wage disparity in our country and i would say around the globe our environment issues of military aggression rape gun violence, mental illness, religious freedom, malnutrition, censorship, surveillance, the ways in which technology has begun to encroach on our lives, our relationship to the animal kingdom And I think that this ocean of causes leads us to be overwhelmed in a way. The average person, as far as I can tell, does want to help and does care. But when you care about so many different issues, you become a jack-of-all-trades, so to speak, and therefore, I feel, a master of none. It's hard to care about all of these causes in equal and prominent measure because there are so many legitimate causes calling for our attention. And I think the natural response becomes, an apathetic one of sorts. So I don't blame people in indulging that apathy. I think it takes tremendous energy to care about any one cause or many at once. But what do you think about this idea of oversaturation of causes leading to perhaps an unintentional apathy as a result of intended empathy?
1: I wouldn't say that apathy is not being curious about the world or not having empathy. I think the way that we measure apathy is how far we're willing to go for a specific cause. And you're definitely right about the social media issue and sort of how people today are inundated with all these news stories. The issue we're getting at here is that people used to really only be in touch with stories that directly concerned them or their family members or their friends or their communities or that type of thing. It was a problem of sorts that people were invested in personally. And if another story came up, they couldn't really afford to just pass it on and say, you know, oh, the situation in Syria is quite terrible right now, but I have to now care about this earthquake in Ecuador. If you're an individual who is not personally affected by either of those issues, you're not going to have much invested. You're not going to have a lot committed other than your empathy, which is obviously going to lend you some degree of commitment. That empathy is also probably going to be transferred to whatever the next big struggle that you're reminded of is. And I think social media has had a really big impact on that, especially when you combine it with how many people get their news from Facebook nowadays, which is problematic because it's led to a situation where people are literally inhabiting different worlds they look around and all of their friends are saying the same thing. This curated content is all saying the same thing. And you can read different sources that say different things, and it creates these divides between people. And that further discourages discussion because it just drives people to say, well, I don't know if I'm right, but I think I am. And more importantly, I think you're wrong, even if I'm not right. And so if I can't convince you of that, then what's the point in talking here? I think what we're seeing here is a sort of globalization of apathy. When you have these networks of people that are curious and do care about what's going on in the world but are not really invested, yet can't escape these news briefings and the fact that there are big issues that affect all of us like the environment or something like that. It's very difficult to say no and I do think yes, people get inundated and we have a finite supply of interest and emotional engagement that we can expend on different issues and If you are inundated with a lot of issues that you want to engage with, you can't engage with any of them, especially thoroughly.
0: I agree, and I'm especially happy that you bring up this curated content on a lot of social media, Facebook very prominently, because... I think apathy is not only emotional engagement, but one's curiosity and interest. And at a certain point, after being met with the same information, whether it's tragic and you feel helpless to change it, or whether it's encouraging your personal stances and perhaps political or social beliefs, I also think it's natural to stop caring because that space in your emotional spectrum is a given value. You know how you feel about it. And so you might tell yourself, why bother looking any further? I know how I feel. And gradually that certainty, I believe, can settle into a state of apathy. And as far as global issues, I do think our modern era in connecting all of us is great. And Barack Obama once said, that our values call upon us to care about people we may never meet, which I think is encouraging, and if I dare say it, a very millennial idea. But I also feel that our globalized connection leads us to experience more at an accelerated pace. I think childhood, in many ways, ends earlier because we get smartphones at such young ages that we're connected to the world, to our friends. And because of the internet, we can connect with those of older generations, and learn about their experiences, their triumphs, their defeats. And because of that, I think we see where other generations may have failed or fallen short. And depending on your perspective, the whole of human history can be very discouraging. And that discouragement can lead to apathy, which brings me to my interest in apathy as a natural state which is more of a question of mine than a statement because I don't know what apathy's natural relationship to the individual is, but I wonder if on some level it is the safest mentality to have because I think our homeostatic preferences lead us to prefer safety, comfort, security, certainty in what we encounter and in who we are. And I'd be very interested to know if you think on some level it is natural to tend towards apathy in the same way that the body or the mind might tend toward decay if you don't pay attention to their upkeep and maintenance.
1: Yeah, I think you definitely have a point with that. There have been philosophers and sort of social scientists, Tocqueville and Nietzsche come to mind, who have these theories. Nietzsche called it the last man, where people would devolve and would become so obsessed with comfort and tranquility that Pretty much all other social interactions would cease and you would really just be a shell of a human being. Tocqueville had a somewhat different but still similar impression of things. And he actually said that he thought that the United States would go down this road where community institutions would decay and people wouldn't care about each other as much anymore, and it would really be a shell of a society. And so I definitely think that you're right that apathy can be reached, but I don't think that it's a natural state. I think that's a bit of a pessimistic way to view things, which doesn't mean that it's wrong. But I'd prefer to not think of it in that way.
0: And I'm glad to hear that. I don't like to take the pessimistic route, but I am often perplexed by the responses and actions that I see in others. And of course, you majored in political science. So I'd also be very curious to hear about the relationship you think a government can have to one's personal sense of apathy, because I feel... To offer some rather simplistic examples, I would take the U.S., where many of us have perceived freedom, and I recognize that there is not equality in the U.S., we have a lot of issues we need to work on, but for the relatively successful, potentially middle-class American who's doing fine... I think it's very easy to settle into apathy because your bills are paid. For the most part, you're taken care of. You think about your life as a peaceful continuum that will sustain you for years to come. You don't need to care, overly so, because you've figured things out. You have a job, you might have a family, etc. And on the opposite end of that spectrum, I picture a dystopian, perhaps autocratic society in which citizens feel they have no power. And I also think that can lead to an apathetic stance where the individual does not perceive freedom and as a result has no interest in trying to alter anything or fight for a certain cause because they've internalized a sense of helplessness to a degree. So I would be curious to know how you feel about that. And I acknowledge that they are very reductive examples, but perhaps they illuminate certain aspects of the human experience.
1: I'm going to push back a little bit here please do. I would have it no other way. I think in regards to the national and global issues, the middle class American is going to be less engaged and less involved than other demographic groups, I would say. They have families to worry about. They're trying to have a job, worrying about retirement, getting older, trying to take care of kids and parents, all that kind of stuff. But I do think on a local level, they are very involved. You think about the engagement in parent-teacher organizations at schools or in community institutions or a church or something. And I think on a local level, those people tend to be quite involved because they've made an investment in that community. They want to establish a set of roots if they don't have them already. If they do have them already, they want to perpetuate them and just generally increase the standing of the community. And we see this actually, I think, regardless of socioeconomic status in the US. I mean, maybe I would go so far as to argue the more money you have, the less invested you are, because the more mobile you are, the less dependent you are on that community being there to support you and vice versa. But When it comes to the totalitarian example, I think there's definitely a case to be made for how a totalitarian government can stifle engagement among its citizens. However, as governments stifle and repress, the bigger the issues become. And it's one thing to read about an issue going on halfway around the world and say, oh, these people deserve freedom of speech rights. It's another thing to actually have a friend or relative of yours be imprisoned or killed for speaking their mind. And I think that galvanizes a lot of people and that can give people the motivation and can really raise the stakes to a degree and say, you need to care about this. You either need to care about this or you need to not. And I think in most, if not all historical cases, we've seen that people tend to care about this stuff. I think the only place that I can think of right now where the opposite has happened is in China. But if you look around other parts of the world, people are very quick to rise up and to voice their frustrations and to care, even if it's ultimately unsuccessful. I think the human experience turns away from apathy, actually, especially when you have the notion of family and community involved. Once we're on our own, then it becomes very easy to ignore things because we just say, hunker down, you'll make it through, it'll be fine. It's very different when you're thinking about what are my parents going to do or what are my siblings going to do or what are my kids going to do? And that's why I think when it comes to a lot of these big issues that people don't really have that much physical investment in, such as the environment, the common marketing technique is, you know, what would you tell your kids? You owe this to
0: your kids. And in that description, you bring up caring as almost an end in and of itself, something worthy of your time, whether or not it's successful, as you've said, something inherent in people that wants to care and wants to demonstrate certain emotional stances towards things. Do you think one reason we might see a trend in apathy is that our world is trending away from processes and intentions and more towards outcomes and products? By which I mean to say, I've noticed certain people who are so focused on goals, how something is going to turn out, what the end result is going to be, that they are not focused on the journey, how we get there. All of which I think can be simplified into the caring part of the equation and the more cold or potentially apathetic part at the very end. What is the bottom line? What is the end of that sentence? How will this turn out? do you observe a similar mentality? And if so, do you think it deters caring for caring's sake?
1: I don't think I've seen it to the extent that you just spoke about. But I do agree that there are people who are exceptionally goal-driven and are willing to do whatever it takes to get to where they want to be in life. It's a luxury to not have to think about things solely from that perspective. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't, but I think it is a luxury. I think caring is something that comes naturally to people and you need something else to come in and force it out. And so that's why being able to care about things is a luxury. It's not having to worry about where am I going to get food for tonight or where am I going to sleep or that type of thing. You can afford to care about things and not be pragmatic.
0: And I find it interesting that you've described both apathy and caring as certain luxuries, which I don't disagree with. I think they can exist in similar spaces. And in bringing this back to our title, the era of apathy, I would argue, again, to be a bit simplistic, that over the course of human history, as we have evolved, but especially formed societies and groups and communities, what previously existed as an inherent need to care about one's survival, I think, was somewhat diluted and distributed amongst communities so that individuals did not have to care quite so much because their communities would help care for them. And I don't think that's an inherently problematic trend. But with more technology, more security, more medical knowledge of how to cure and combat disease, for example, I think one's emotional investment is likely to have an inverse relationship to our global security as a species.
1: This reminds me a lot of a TED talk I recently watched where a guy who worked in Bill Clinton's White House, and he was talking about how he had grown up in the Cold War era. And he talked about how he remembered going as a fifth grader and putting his head under his desk and crouching to protect himself from a thermonuclear bomb, which he said he knew even at the time was dumb. And he was talking about how we no longer live in this Cold War period, where if war breaks out, it's going to be terrifying, and we really have to go to great lengths to prevent that from happening, just because the costs of war were so high. And he was mentioning that today, the situation is such, at least for most Americans, I would say, that the costs of war are so low And the causes of war are seemingly so unsolvable that there is this sort of incentive not to care and just hunker down as a society. And so I think you're right when you say that as we've grown more secure, the incentive to care has gone down. But I think that that's partially a defense mechanism just as much as it is a cost-saving measure. Going back to the question of whether apathy and caring are both luxuries, I think it's absolutely true because... Well, I think we inherently care as human beings. That's what makes us human beings. I think people who don't care are considered the odd ones out. They're the exception to the norm. The situation is such where life throws obstacles at you. And if you want to care, you have to overcome a certain number of those obstacles. And obviously, having wealth or being better off financially or socioeconomically is going to make it easier for you to do that. And so it's going to be easier for you to care about issues that don't directly affect you. And it'll be easier for you to actually impact those issues because you'll be able to donate to a charity or volunteer your time or something along those lines. And it's interesting to hear, conversely, that apathy is also a luxury of sorts because just as you can choose what to do with your time once you have reached that level, you can choose to not care. You can choose to distribute your assets evenly. You can choose to hedge your bets. You may be a very pessimistic person and you may say, you know, this whole world's going under and... going to build a thing on Mars. That's extremely apathetic, but it's also prudent to do that kind of action. It's just not what's best for the society at large. You've talked about seeing the effects of apathy in your life as well, and you've thought about some of the causes of it, whether that's through Facebook interactions or inhabiting different worlds or seeing people be inundated with causes to care about. Do you see any solutions or fixes to this? I described you as a pessimist earlier. Would you say that you're pessimistic about this?
0: That's a really good question. And I don't believe I'm a pessimist. On some level, I think I've tried to take the devil's advocate approach and perhaps encourage us to discuss things we may not believe. As I've tried to express, I do think on some level it is natural to care. But there is a simultaneous urge, I believe, to expend the least amount of energy possible. I think people prefer the path of least resistance and it can be harder to care. We see very heated political arguments. We see stigma emerge surrounding melodrama. If someone has a breakdown or cares too much as a society, and perhaps globally, we tend to accuse them of being controlled by their emotions. There have been plenty of sexist arguments over the course of human history that have accused women in particular of caring too much or being overly emotionally invested, And I think those arguments have come to apply to many of us. We fear being overly invested because we might appear unbalanced in our thinking or unaware of how reality truly works, which I find sad. But you mentioned millennials in the beginning of this conversation, and I do believe in our generation, despite many of the technological and social difficulties we face. I think there is tremendous potential in our connectivity. And I think we will learn how to better communicate with one another and express what we care about. And sites like Upworthy and other viral stories that people share on social media do attempt to remind us of our humanity, of the power of joy and other positive emotions. So I do believe there is a future there. But I also think people must be reminded of the value in caring about something and should not feel ashamed if they only care for a limited number of causes. Because I think it's better to devote most of your time to a few rather than fragments of your time to many. And I know that can be hard to swallow for some. I even feel at times that I'm not giving enough of my time to various things that I care about. But we need to be efficient in our time management of emotions and the causes we care about. I also think there's hope in personal independence, which I think many people are coming to realize in this day and age, that the individual is very capable. And I think a danger of apathy, in addition to our desire to care, leads us to be emotionally manipulated by public figures. I'm picturing politicians who claim to have a solution for our apathy. They give us a clear cause. They give us clear rhetoric and ideals that we can also stand for because they promise results if we give them our emotional support. And I think that's one reason candidates like Donald Trump have risen in popularity, because people are told that if they care, we will see results. People become the metaphorical excalibur and therefore beholden to Whoever removes the sword from the stone, so to speak, whoever can shake them out of apathy becomes a figurehead of swords, a leader to the previously apathetic group, which is understandable. We're social beings and I think crave leadership, but I would encourage people to be wary of those trends, to try and find your own way to shake yourself out of apathy, to give yourself certain causes to invest in rather than purely being told how to care and how to invest your emotional energy.
1: And I don't think that it's limited to Donald Trump in just this regard, which I know is maybe not the most popular thing to say. Well, I like him a lot. I think that Bernie has done a lot of the same stuff where he's taken a rich cross-section of the American population. Pundits will always say that they don't have a whole lot in common, but they rally around this guy because he's fighting for them and he's given people something to care about. He's trying to inspire this political revolution among the country. And I think that that rhetoric alone is enough to say that apathetic voters definitely are a target and can be wielded as a tool for politicians who want to bring about change. Now, I don't know if that is necessarily a bad thing, but it's certainly a tool for which politicians and other figures can mobilize people and A, change a situation, and B, give people who might not have cared so much anymore a reason to stand for something. And I think at the end of the day, that's what a lot of people want, I think people are sort of crying out for that. That's why I think in these environments where people don't necessarily have a lot of control over their situation, but their situation isn't bad, that's where you see this apathy coming in. That's what's happening in China, where the situation is okay economically, and it's getting better, but there's still not a lot of freedom. So people say, oh, I'll just put up with it. I think you see this in places like Kenyon, the college where you and I recently graduated from, where you have very low turnout and engagement with student government issues because it's not the easiest thing in the world to change. They're not simple problems, but at the end of the day, life's pretty good. And so the risk-reward calculation is different versus if you are in an environment where people are getting killed for speaking their minds or writing something in a newspaper.
0: And before we close the episode, what are some things you would like the audience to consider after listening to this discussion?
1: I would say it's important to think about the community in which you live. And your networks there, because historically, that has always been the basis of our political engagement. And I think moving forward, while it's very easy to be distracted from local issues, those are the issues that are going to affect you and the people that you care about the most. They're going to affect the availability of jobs, the quality of education, infrastructure, whether you can rely on the police forces or not. While it's easy and it feels good to really invest oneself in issues that are far away and maybe exotic and exciting, it is oftentimes the local issues where people can have the most impact on the questions that impact their lives.
0: I agree. I would definitely encourage people to think on local levels or if they are engaged in more international or remote causes why they invest their emotional energy as they do and i would also encourage people to think about shame they might receive for not caring about certain causes and whether or not that is a legitimate way to persuade someone to invest their emotional energy into your cause of interest i would also be curious to hear from older listeners as well as younger listeners and what trends you might see in terms of generation age as well as to our international listeners, what you think cultural and national differences do to sculpt our emotional or apathetic states of mind. And Henry, I'd like to thank you very much for sharing your thoughts and discussing this today. Thank you for having me, Kip. It was my pleasure, but of course, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. Ours are only two voices, and we would genuinely love to hear what you think and what you have to say. So if you have any opinions, feedback, comments, or input of any kind, please reach out to us. You can connect with us on Twitter or on Facebook, where if you like our page, you'll receive weekly updates when we post new episodes. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to as well as reviewing the show and sharing it with someone you think might enjoy it and get something out of it. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark, signing off.